Dr. Jeffrey Raber is founder and CEO and CVO of The Workshop, an analysis lab advising on cannabinoid and terpene formulations, as well as executive director of the Association of Commercial Cannabis Labs. I know him through the Gangier program as an instructor. He received his PhD in organic chemistry from the University of Southern California. He has many years of experience working with the cannabis industry, and we are excited to have him on. So without further ado, Dr. Jeffrey Raber, Gangier instructor and CEO of The Workshop. Thank you again for stopping by the Bluegrass Podcast. Let's get started. She said, now I'm a red-headed galactic installation portal revolving around the sun. Now Either that I said works. that, how did you find out about yeah. Gangier or get asked to come on? Or Yeah, I was asked. So I knew um, the folks behind Greenflower Media, like Derek um, and Max. Mm-hmm. I had done, um, I think it was two or three things for Greenflower before, like where they filmed me as an instructor and stuff. So they were aware of, you know, I guess my educational interests and we had worked together before and they said, they kind of approached me and said, Hey, look, we've got a bunch of folks trying to do this. And I was like, well, who's doing it? Because I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of the biggest criteria for me. Not that I, you know, wouldn't know that I couldn't help, but I don't want to contribute my time or effort to something that wouldn't stand the test of time or be able to really work. And when they went through some of the folks that had already, you know, been been a, a, a solid yes or that it said they would they were contemplating it like me um i was like oh this sounds awesome like there are definitely some of the the greatest minds that i've seen in this space and people that are really really good and passionate at their craft so i said yeah it, it sounds like a no-brainer to me and they really took good care of us um and got us all together and you know we all built the program together which i it was it's a i can't describe how hard it is to get a bunch of cannabis folks to agree on next to anything but i think you know to get some of these guys to really agree on how to build the program together we think we all left each of the sessions you know saying this was one of the most collaborative experiences that we had we all knew Mm -hmm. why we were there we all knew what we could bring to the table and everybody professionally respected everyone enough to let each person kind of say their own perspective and and share their insights and we kind of you know amalgamated it together to make something really special and unique and these guys are great at media and putting together something that looks really professional so i think we all knew they could deliver we all knew each of us knew our parts and we all respected each other so much that we were like you know what this is a once in a lifetime type opportunity to be a part of um and I, I'm just so glad to hear that everyone thinks it went well and it was, uh, you know, being well received. It was a lot of fun to be a part of, too, because I think that was kind of the inherent fun for each of us instructors was to interact with the other instructors and get a chance to kind of do that. Um, it's, and it's I've weird. heard some of the conversations, while constructive, were also quite fierce as well oh, yeah. about different <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We are a very passionate group. (laughs) So um, to say that, you know, everyone is strongly opinionated, but, you know, respectful of others' opinions. And I think we all appreciate the complexity of cannabis to the point where you're like, there probably is many ways to say it's right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's not an end all be all or it's oh single point type thing. Um, Well, in an evolving industry too, right? 
there's right. still research coming out that's changing opinions and changing sort of minds about what it actually does mean in cannabis. Every good scientist has to have an open mind to say what they thought they knew was wrong <laughs> when mm -hmm. they're faced with new data that says otherwise, right? So I think everybody brought that perspective, like, what else can I learn in addition to what can I contribute? And I'm passionate about what I believe I know because of my experiences. And for some of my stuff, personally, it's a little easier, like a quantifiable number. You're like, this is the number. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. that's like, I can do it. I can reproduce it. I can get someone else to, to reproduce that. So that's, you know, sometimes that's easy even though the lab game, which we can definitely talk about, is, can, kind of demonstrates that's not always as easy as you might think. Um, you know, that's different than, say, what is an individual's um, appreciation for the product? What is their olfactory mm. experience? What is their, you know, sensory perception of those things? They are, they're like so multifaceted and complex, we probably don't have great language to describe that. So while someone says, I think this tastes a little more fruity and spicy, that very well may be what they taste, but someone else has a unique palate, they have a unique perspective, and they might choose, you know, different words to describe what this person is saying is spicy. Mm -hmm. um, Recognizing so the same flavors, but just the language you're using to describe it might be different. Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, we all had a good appreciation for each of those parts and the complexities and found the overall experience to just be super rewarding in many ways. And to kind of see the end product come out and, you know, a couple hundred people really enjoyed it and are really benefiting from it. And we know that that spreads, you know, orders of magnitude after that because it's word of mouth that they tell somebody and they tell some more people. And I think every one of us were just geared towards the right info has to go out of here. So if we disagree, let's try to get through the disagreements and understand maybe there is multiple ways to say, here's what we believe we know today. And it's okay to have a couple of opinions on some points, um, but it really was a, a, an excellent group. And it, I, that was the selling point for me. Like there was going to be good, solid support behind an excellent group of people that were all mutually respectful of each other. Because mm -hmm. if you have some of these strong personalities in a room with others that they don't respect, it doesn't work. <laughs> like it, uh, you know, it would just be a, a, a day of, you know, hot air that would never go anywhere, but it was an ultra productive um piece and it took a while to build but it was really really well, a lot of three fun. years right i think yes. was the number that they throw around for the amount of time it took you all to move through this whole process of developing the program yep yeah it's <laughs> yeah which is not a small time investment at all no i mean because you had to get us all together right then we had mm -hmm. to get together and we and they had to build that structure so we could go in there and know what we we're all doing then we you know went a couple of cycles of that then we each gave our little you know independent video sessions that they had to go film and then mm -hmm. you know they were rolling out the course so it has it has been a long-term labor of love for those guys and i think that speaks to the the passion that was really behind it and why we were like you know i will contribute to this because they're not going to drop the ball like they're not going to disappear in three mm -hmm. weeks and say oh well it was a nice try but i'm tired um you know that's not <laughs> no, those they're guys, incredibly committed people not just you but everyone who's been involved with this and I think that was, you know, we could all kind of collectively see that and say, okay, this is this is the group I want to be a part of to do something like this. Because I think we all kind of thought about those things and we had helped build the, a terpene kit like that. We have one ourselves. They kind of built off that because mm -hmm. we know it's important to kind of educate about it. But this is like a bigger platform. And, a, you know, many of us were just like, how do I get the right word out there? Uh, 
podcasts mm-hmm. like with yourself are a fantastic way because we can have you know informed conversations and it goes to many many folks like well I'm and talking- it also moves into a different area right the yeah. people i know at dispensaries like i think that sometimes the training part of things is basically taken on by most people at the bottom level of the cannabis industry as much as you want to dive into it but like yep. informed conversations are a lot of the way that people are able to learn about cannabis right now. Yeah. It's some of the only way, right. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. it's, um, and I think it's challenging to say, well, who's informed or how do I know someone was actually informed from my perspective? You know, you can be like, no way. That's not how you read the C of A, but a consumer wouldn't know that if someone mm-hmm. was telling him something with confidence, they might misperceive it as being actual when it may in fact be incorrect. So, you know, I think like getting it out there in a bigger platform to say more folks got good info, they got right info, and they can spread that. I think that was, you know, a big motivating part of it too, to say this is good for everybody and the industry. We can advance the industry's educational, you know, perspective if we're not sharing the right info. And like you said, it can change. So, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, we look back and we're like, oh, that's funny. We all said this. We now know that's not right. Um, well, a particular we- point to that about like, like myrcene and mangoes. I think you had a particular point in your video sort of yeah. breaking that apart. Yeah. Yeah. There's 4,000 different mangoes. <laughs> Which one are you talking about? And, you know, how many um, might have high myrcene contents or not? Or are there other things there that are with that? I think, mm-hmm. I think that single point conversation that we all want to have because it's easy, it's like reductionist. And we say, look, this is what's responsible for that. Because it's easy, we all want to gravitate there. But cannabis Mm -hmm. consistently tells you it is not an easy conversation. It is not a single point complexity. It is not one molecule does this. One molecule may do many things. I think a great easy example of that is CBD. If you look Mm -hmm. at like a review on CBD, it's like interacts with over 60 different receptors in some way. Okay. (laughs) So what's it doing? It's kind of doing all of that at once, right? But how Mm -hmm. does that overall affect impact somebody that's can be very individualized so it's well and how you receive it right the yeah. form that you're consuming it in yeah and what else is with it is there mercy a little bit a lot mm-hmm. other things and how do they all kind of play together um and i, I think you know that's part of the fun uh, at least the intellectual fun this is going to be something you can think about for quite some time to come right maybe even a lifetime and oh absolutely still, you know, and there are already lifetimes people. invested in it and we're still rolling we still feel like it's still just, you know, scratching that tip of the iceberg. We're not sure how deep it goes, but it's, um, you know, I, I think that's part of the fun. And that's, unfortunately, we try to market in a sense that is simple and reductionist. Mm-hmm. And the interest is get these people through as fast as possible. So I don't have, you know, an hour long conversation for one $20 transaction. But, mm-hmm. you know, some people may really require that a few times and it's only the right thing to give them so they can find the right medicine or physiological tool for themselves mm-hmm. but commercial interests don't really drive that so i think you know it's great that they have this program we've we've seen other attempts at training i've even you know i've given presentations at dispensaries and a lot of them are just like i just want to check a box that says i did it i don't care if yeah. anyone knew i wasn't going to do that and yeah. These guys tested you, right? There was a, there's a, there's all sorts of stuff that goes into making it a more valid educational piece, and it was a lot of care in education, which was a, a huge difference than just saying we all got trained on this, um, and then I forgot it a week later. So Absolutely. It, well, different. 
I think it also speaks to the people who came in to the program who I've met underneath who it's like, wow, some of these people that I've met who are taking this program are industry professionals in and of themselves, but still looking for further education, right? Yes. I mean, Derek described there were some folks that were in very prominent positions within exceptionally large organizations. So I think that really spoke to it. I think it was really wise to not, you know, say charge 50 bucks where everybody could just go as a curiosity seeker. I think, you know, establishing that it is like a legitimate course that's like college level type things where you're paying for credits and a certification and you're really getting an education and being tested that you got through it. I think And that this is the first of three. We're yeah. only talking about yeah. the first part of this that's been developed so far. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and I think the next levels are going to be quite interesting to try and create and and have, you know, hopefully just a rewarding experience with that too. It's going to be fun um, to kind of take it up to the next levels. I think we're all very glad that we've um, been able to get it this far, but we're also very excited and anxious about taking it the next steps because it's um, there's so much more that could be done. And I, but you can't overwhelm everybody <laughs> like day oh, one, no. right? How do we start to break that down further into a social setting? Yeah, I mean, I I always start with honesty, and it's okay mm. to say I don't know, <laughs> right? Oh, like that's it, why I'm talking to you all. It's <laughs> you have to come from somewhere and find people who know more than you, and be like, okay, let me ask you questions that's the best place to start. Right. And I will say, I don't know all the answers. <laughs> I can try to give you what I know today, but I, you know, I'm well aware that we're probably going to continuously learn. And there's so much more that we know we need to learn. Um, we can't have all the answers today, but we can at least have hopefully, you know, valid perspective on what we think that answer may be if we don't know it um, and ways to go out and, and maybe over the test of time, see it be proven out. Um, Mm -hmm. And some are easier than others, right? But when someone says like, well, what's the right cannabis for me? It's probably the hardest question you can get. (laughs) (laughs) People spend their whole times trying to answer that question just for themselves. It's it's as unique as what food do you want to eat in the morning? What's the best diet for you, right? What's the best exercise regime? Very individualized. And it may be more like food, like, hey, today I wanted more citrus than yesterday, right? Absolutely. And it, maybe I need a different cultivar today than tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. um, you're trying to stay in a state of balance. But every input, such as consuming a cannabis product, will change that state of balance. And therefore, you know, it's going to be different when I ask the same question tomorrow. I'm coming from a different position. I'm not where I was when I started the day before. So mm-hmm. it requires, you know, potentially different inputs every day. Now, not necessarily. It depends on exactly what the individual needs or what their, you know, regimen may be. But I think we kind of forget we have different stressors throughout different days. Like no two days are probably the same for any of us. Mm -hmm. Maybe last year in the pandemic, there might have been a few more that were a little closer, but (laughs) they still probably weren't, you know, exactly the same. And if you have family members around, it's never the same. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think recognizing it's, it's trying to chase this constant state of balance takes different inputs, different amounts, and different fine-tuning kind of all along the way. Um, So I don't know if it's really an easy answer that says, this will always be what you need every single time at this amount. Um, This might be a helpful baseline, but you got to kind of, you know, to move that baseline to where you want it to go, but you might need to modulate around that. And here's some other tools to do it. And that's the fantastic part of cannabis. There's so many ways and so many types that you can use. There should be an answer for everyone. 
But that answer could be super individualized. And what may be, you know, right for a specific person could be the absolutely wrong thing for another person, even if they think they have similar ailments. Absolutely. Which I, I find is fascinating too. And breaking it down into sort of those different types of products, I wanted to ask you a particular question about distillate, broad spectrum, full spectrum, these sort of terms that people have for cannabis products that contain different mixtures of cannabinoids in different levels. We talked a little bit about particular cannabinoids and also the wider sort of entourage effect, getting different results and better results for some people possibly. I'm not sure if you have any experience testing in the lab where you can speak about the differences in this sort of terminology, but I find them very vague and I find that different businesses use them in different ways and even have their own sets of what range of cannabinoids do we have? Yeah, yeah. I think you're seeing that right. So there's no accepted definition, like industry standard definition of those terms, right? Mm -hmm. So without that, we didn't say, hey, broad spectrum equals these five cannabinoids in this range plus, you know, seven other cannabinoids within summing up to this amount. Mm -hmm. And full spectrum would mean 10 and 10 more. Like we don't have anything quantifiable or very clear cut lines across any of those bounds. Mm -hmm. So therefore, like you may say broad spectrum and someone else may say full spectrum, but you're both referring to the exact same product, mm -hmm. right? And I think that unfortunately causes confusion. So without Especially an accepted in definition, consumers, I think, we're going to probably, have, yeah. I was going to say with full spectrum, you sell something as full spectrum, somebody, a consumer I found usually assumes that to mean everything that was in a cannabis plant, or if you name that product, after a particular strain that it somehow is the product equivalent of everything that was in that flower. <laughs> right. Right. But as you probably learned in the course, <laughs> it's not the same as what mm -hmm. was in that flower because I, all the processing changes that chemical construct. So here's what the plant, you know, presents to me and mm -hmm. I can quantifiably analytically look through that and say, these are the molecules I can test for. Here's how much I can measure them. And here's what this plant gave to me. Now, if I want, you know, that spectrum, I can directly eat that plant. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. probably, you know, the only way to get all of that. Now, if I start to heat it in a vaporizer, I'm going to have a different chemical composition than what was there. Mm -hmm. If I go and extract it, through some sort of extraction or manufacturing means, I'm going to end up with something different than what the plant presented to me. Mm -hmm. So there are means that you can get very, very close to what the plant presented. And then there are ones that you're like, hey, here's, you know, a live resin extract. And I say that, you know, or here's my, like you're saying, full spectrum extract of Blue Dream. Mm -hmm. Okay, first of all, which Blue Dream were you talking about? Is that the same as the other guy's Blue Dream? Mm -hmm. That very well may not be the case, but let's assume we all got the same cultivar to start with. Is that full spectrum extract representative of the flower material? It very well may not be. You might have like three different terpenes being at higher concentrations on the extract than you did in the flower material, where the ratios to cannabinoids and terpenes are radically different than what the flower presented. So I don't think it's fair to, to represent that these broad spectrum, full spectrum, you know, 
the, the word full does give you the idea that it's like I took all the molecules except for cellulose and amino acids and put them over here. Mm-hmm. But that is absolutely not the case, right? It is some derivative form. Now, it doesn't mean it couldn't be consistently done. It doesn't mean that it can't be something useful or good for somebody. It certainly could be. Mm-hmm. But it's not fair to say this is exactly what the plant produced. Yet I feel like you that that's how some are kind of representing it. And I think yeah, that's well, this causing a lot of unfortunate confusion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like this sounds good in a marketing sense, but that sounds terrible in a chemistry sense. Yeah. And or I, you know, as a chemist, a that kind sense. of bothers me. Right. Exactly. And if it is someone looking for a medical or physiological sense, that can be tough for that consumer. But it's really tough for all of us to advance our conversation and say, these are the compositions that are effective for those types of you know, conditions or people presenting this way. How well, do even I, when the same you know, plant is going to give from- you different results when you harvest it, that's a wild conversation yeah. that's extremely hard to nail down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And and that would be, you know, folks that say, oh, well, I know we started with the same genetic stock. Okay. That is a great position to say we're starting from here, but Mm -hmm. you grew it outdoor and I grew it indoor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're very different in where we may result or end up or we, Hey, we both grew it in the exact same indoor conditions. Okay. Fantastic. But my harvesting and post-processing was different. Or like you were saying, my timing for when I chose to harvest was a week earlier than the other guys. Mm -hmm. And, and that is therefore different as an end product. So, you know, unfortunately, if we're today, we're still saying I started with the exact same genetic stock and say, we've got it from the same nursery Mm -hmm. and they were using tissue culture. And we're sure it's the same. We're both creating Blue Dream, but this is, you know, my version of Blue Dream has different harvest times, post-processing pieces and ways Mm -hmm. of presenting the product to the shelf than yours. I don't know if we should think of them both as Blue Dream. Like it's your Blue Dream, my Blue Dream. We can say this is a Blue Dream base that's been, you know, tweaked by my process. But it's, I don't see that conversation getting extended just yet to a brand or a manufacturer's position to say, here's what we're doing with it, and it will always be the same. I think we're moving in that direction, but it's not quite you know, there yet, if you will. Absolutely. Well, I think there's also a question of, is that, I don't want to say, is that a possibility, but you get into larger questions of like, I mean, commercial agriculture, right? Growing a product as opposed to a plant. But um, talking about lab results, yep. the difference I, I mean, is- yeah, like, I mean, like, well, I mean, you, you could say the mango piece, right? Like a commercial product, like a mango. Mm-hmm. If it tastes a little different or it's a little, you know, unique on my grocery store shelf, that's probably okay. But I'm not trying to elicit specific physiological effects or other than it tastes okay <laughs> right? Exactly. with some nutrition, unlike a medical, you know, or a physiological modulator, like we're trying to use with cannabis. So, you know, it breaks down in a cannabis sense when you're like, someone's using this for a specific physiological purpose. That's not taste and, you know, satiate, satiated or feeling nutritious. It, that's where big ag has to kind of move in a different direction um, or, mm-hmm. or at least be honest with like, Hey, this is going to constantly be variable. Okay. Maybe that's okay for some folks. Cause they didn't need a very narrow banded or specific physiological piece for that. 
And there's, you know, like we said, there's some for everybody that may be fine for a lot of folks actually, but it's not okay to keep confusing the conversation, especially when someone says, Hey, you might try cannabis to help you with that particular problem that you physically have. Mm-hmm. And then they're like lost in what am I actually getting? And why did that person say that? Cause I've got nothing, you know, of the sort. Um, exactly. But I think- and they don't have a label to go to either. I was reading one of your studies about the differences that you saw in labels and they were wild on paper just from the research. But I can even say working with products in the, the dispensary, you would have a lab analysis on the back for a product that on the front said 100 milligrams of THC. And we would get the packet with a lab cert on the back that said 65 milligrams of THC. And it, wow. I, it's not even close. Yeah. So I, th- I mean, there's, well, you can appreciate there's a little lab variability that may be at play, right? Like, so if I say 100 milligrams, but it, the lab tested at 95, mm. I think it's okay to label that as 100, right? You're within an acceptable range plus minus, you know, allowance there of analytical accuracy and manufacturing accuracy. But it's oh, not okay to say 100 if you're delivering 65. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not okay. Well, and like you said, um, and over deliver and other times, right? States manage it. That's dangerous, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I tell you it's a hundred, but it's, you know, actually been 150 mm-hmm. or like in your case, right? So it says a hundred on the box and I got 65, but I assumed they took a hundred. So I go and try another product that's a hundred and it actually is a hundred. And now I'm getting mm-hmm. almost twice as much. And my experience was wildly different. That's the big danger in that. It, if you're confusing everybody by, you know, having them not understand exactly how much they're taking. It can be worse than if they didn't think they had that understanding at all. Absolutely. There was one issue in particular where they didn't remove the packaging from the products. They kept using their old packaging, but there was a problem with it because it had the word medicine on it. So someone just came along with a Sharpie and took medicine off of every single piece of concentrate (laughs) and then sent it out. Yeah, I think the lab testing has a lot of interesting questions around it just because of how oh i don't want to use the wrong word that'll get me in trouble and i don't want to say something like negligent but i think when you force it to be only three labs that people can use they're interesting there's interesting market dynamics at play and it's not necessarily perfectly balanced um Mm. And and I you know what even when they let more labs at play, the market sometimes doesn't favor accuracy, mm. <laughs> right? It's favoring to play. misreporting. So we yeah we see this in other states where, and actually in a number of them unfortunately where the folks go to the lab and say I need this to be this number. And you're mm-hmm. like, hold on a minute, that's not how the lab works. <laughs> like the lab can't tell you it will give you this number. Well, and how did you select like, your sample too? like some other labs will give me that number like well that's not okay that's not how that's supposed to go Mm -hmm. sample collection is very important in terms of which number will you get as well so if a lab can give you the same results as another lab they have to have selected the sample in a certain way that it was all representative of the entire batch which is very difficult with plant sampling Uh, especially because each plant doesn't necessarily grow the same so randomization and then homogenization and saying I can split this sample that everybody should get the exact same results um, within reason, right? There's a plus Mm -hmm. minus allowance within that. Yeah. There's a margin of error. Yeah. 
Um, so there's only as, as best as we can do when we're all doing the same things and doing them correctly to, you know, our assessment of correct in that regard. It's, it's interesting though, that you can have an unlimited lab licenses and there can be a few bad actors that skew the entire market and try to pull everyone in that incorrect direction, Mm -hmm. like overinflating cannabinoid values on flowers, overinflating things, you know, that really aren't there. Um, It's a definite problem, even outside of the state of Illinois, it's a problem in many different states and it's not an easy one to solve. It's, different when I say I have a few labs that are licensed. I think the hope from the regulator is I've got a few more or, you know, a few less that I have to watch so I can actually stay focused on Mm -hmm. the problems with these three. And three in theory is not a terrible number because you should be able to say they're all checking each other and I can get, you know, cross references. And if all three of them came up with the same number within reason, then we're pretty sure that's what that number is. Mm. But if, you know, one starts to go in a direction where they're inflating things and the other two say, I got to follow along or I'm going to lose business because there's not a lot out here. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you might have all three of them missing the center of your target. Now they may be clustered together, but they're outside of the accuracy point. And it can be misleading to even those that are monitoring them because they'll be like, well, they all are reporting very similar values for all these similar products. They must be doing things correctly when in mm. fact they may not be. Collective industry yep. shenanigans. And sometimes, <laughs> right. And sometimes you're like, well, I'm doing things within the rules. Like I, I am not purposely trying to be inaccurate, but if you feel it's an inaccurate representation of the products, tighten up the rules and change them so that we cannot drift that far outside the center of the target. And that is about what California is about to go through, I believe. You know, they've had a lot of problems with how might um, how might we know that analytical accuracy is within this certain window? And did mm-hmm. I make the window so broad that it lends towards everyone, you know, leaning towards the top end of it as opposed to the middle of it where I'd like them to st- to hopefully be. Well, Mm -hmm. if that's the case, then I got to tighten up the window and it might become a little bit more difficult to perform and therefore a little more expensive. But if, you know, if you're showing me you're willing to drift within the window, I might have to tighten up the window and close it so that you can't drift that far outside the center of the target. Mm. And these are some of the growing pains of a new industry. That's, we're just going to have to go through it. And I think we can all hope that we go through it as fast as possible because there are, there's a lot of inherent damage that's done on one on a consumer level, like personally, physically to individual patients and consumers, but two economically, they're paying for that when it's not what they thought they got. Mm-hmm. Others along the supply chain are paying for things that they you know, thought they were buying, but they weren't. Um, it can be very challenging to a poor manufacturing group if they're doing extraction and it was represented that they had, you know, certain number of cannabinoids there, but they in fact had 10 or 15% less. Well, why am I not getting all of my products out the door? Because I paid for that much ingredient. I mean, in Mm -hmm. fact, my cost was a lot higher than I actually thought it was because I can't get that many units out the door. So it's, you know, I think it's, the perception is that problem cannot persist that long because it would have to be corrected. But unfortunately, we're not seeing it be a self-correcting problem. <laughs> we're, we're seeing the regulators have to step in and, and kind of tighten up the lab testing game so that it it can't venture far outside the center of the target. Because if it can, it will, is what we're seeing so far. And do you have time for one more question? Because I wanted sure. to talk a Absolutely. little bit about the workshop in LA and some sort of some of your work in particular going through all of the certificate analysis. 
So would you like to talk about the workshop a little bit? Because like you were saying, you are actually in the lab actively. While I am in the lab, we do not do compliance testing. So we are mm. not a licensed compliance testing lab. We help a number of those. We know exactly how it's done. Our roots were founded as an analytical testing laboratory, but we exited that position um, and focus more on developing consistent standardized formulations. So I'm not an analytical chemist by trade, like training. I'm actually a synthetic organic chemist. So I have always been in the manufacturing production um, processing side. How do I go make medicines, fine chemicals and other um, products of interest mm -hmm. in a standard, consistent, scalable fashion? So it's economically efficient. So it's the same batch to batch or every single time that I make it and that I can deliver value in the best way possible and value, especially with it's anything that you consume, it better be consistent within tight tolerances. Now, all of that is checked and monitored by analytical chemistry. So we still have great analytical perspectives. We still do tons of internal analytical chemistry work. Um, you know, we've got lots of advanced research methodologies that you wouldn't run in a commercial on compliance testing lab setting because it mm -hmm. doesn't economically serve you to do that. But it is, we have a different lab perspective than a someone trying to push, um, you know, compliance tests out. So mm -hmm. we have some flexibility in what we do, but we know what the testing labs need to do. We very are very helpful to them. We can serve as, you know, cross-reference and checkpoints. We work through problems with them. We're encouraged to see some states starting to set up state reference labs. And they've come to us and said, hey, what should I know? <laughs> what are some of the potential areas of pitfalls or problems? And we can actually help from a position um, that doesn't have an interest, right? Mm -hmm. So we have an interest in the game just being played very well, but mm -hmm. we don't have a license that says, hey, our livelihood is linked to this being your rule. Mm -hmm. So we can say rule makers, you should make the rules in this way so it can't be gamed. And while your labs will tell you it's difficult, it's doable <laughs> and the market will benefit because this will be more accurate for everyone. So it gives us a little more flexibility in who we talk to, but a lot more legitimacy in why we talk to them because we don't have our own interest driven towards that. Our commercial interests are formulations. We do a lot of work on uh, providing terpenes and terpene blends, mm -hmm. a lot of customization there, a lot of ways of going after how do I replicate what I've seen in the plant so I can put this together time and time again across multiple geographies, right? So whether it's different states or even different countries, a brand wants to represent the same product. And then we help from the analytical perspective, let's define same, let's define how the processes work and we'll help build manufacturing facilities from the ground up from concept of here's the building, how do I lay it out? Which extraction equipment do I select? How do I implement the SOPs? How do I train the staff? And which mm -hmm. products and formulations will I produce? So, you know, it's, it's a pretty, fun and exciting position for us. We get to work on a lot of different formulations. We see a lot of different um, states and geographies, even countries on how, how we can work within different rule sets. And then we can share our perspective with each of those rule makers. So I you know, was lucky enough to be invited to speak with Health Canada when they were setting up some of their rules. And we serve as reference points to you know, what's good for an inhalation ingredient or not. Mm -hmm. How can we approach these things in ways that will benefit consumers, patients, and hopefully keep us away from any toxicological concerns like we saw with the Avali cases and vitamin E acetate. Mm -hmm. So 
what we unfortunately see is a lot of you know lawmakers and rule makers they are scared to death of chemistry and they first start off their conversations with please don't give me any chemistry or math because <laughs> i didn't do well in those courses but then we can kind of comfort them and say well that's why we're here because we did all that stuff and we can mm-hmm. understand what you're trying to accomplish and help you work on language that other folks will understand to mean the right things in a chemistry and mathematical sense so that we can get to where you want to go um, and it's really a, a rewarding position when you can kind of catch the open minds that are like, thankfully, you're here to help because we got a lot of folks screaming at us. and We don't know who's trying to tell us what for which reasons. And I can't make heads or tails of it. And we can say, like, well, then just come back and ask us. Like, we're here to give you at least an informed scientist perspective. You know, I think our world is becoming more technically complex and it's going to become radically more complex than what we see today. But we need good science-driven minds and good folks that are open to understanding science to say, here's how we can apply what we know in a safe manner. And here's how we can encourage innovation without stifling it. Um, You know, one of the things was a simple example is how do you test for cannabis the right way? Do you tell a regulator, use this equipment? Mm -hmm. We didn't think that's the right way to do it. We thought, no go after these ingredients. So report cannabinoid acids. Mm -hmm. You can do that in a couple of ways, but there's one that's much more favorable than the other. Using liquid chromatography is much more favorable than derivatization and gas chromatography, but they can in theory both get the same answer. But that also leaves space for new technologies and new innovations that might come out that can test for those in ways we don't yet see today without having to rewrite the rules and go through these you know, multi-year lengthy long processes of educating the regulator then going out and making a new rule set. Um, you know, it's very important, I think, that we say, here's a great foundation and basic framework, but the sky's the limit in doing things more efficiently, more accurately, and just better overall without saying you have to do it that way and making it super expensive um, to get started. So there's like a, a little balancing act in a, a technical sense there. I completely um, agree. If So this might be the last question because I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I know I said that on the last one, but <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. talking about regulations and this evolving sort of dynamic, if you had one piece of advice to states that have not begun to legalize yet, what would that be to get testing right on the first at bat? Talk to the other states that have been doing it. Um, the regulators should join the CANRA organization. It's like the um, cannabis regulators associations. It's where mm-hmm. the states are and all the state regulators are getting together to try and share notes. You know, each of those state regulators are confined to what the legislation has given them. So, you know, some states, it's been a voter initiative that was written by others. Other states, it's lawmakers that created the language. Mm -hmm. But only if my law says I can do this, can the regulator go out and create rules for it. So no two states are exactly the same because their laws aren't exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So you can say like, well, great, I have this legal problem that I can only do this. What experiences have you three or five groups seen and what might be the right solution given these constraints? Like that's gotta be a collective think, you know? And at this point, Mm -hmm. you're not out there by yourself. (laughs) Like, you know, like maybe Colorado and Washington were in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, 
use the knowledge base that was created. I think that's the beautiful part of the federalist system. We've got state laboratories, right? So we've mm-hmm. kind of run a bunch of small scale experiments. We've been learning for a number of years now what does go well or doesn't go well, or what might I want to change in my legislation if I you know, was to write my regulations better. New states have the benefits of experience from all mm-hmm. the others, and they're open to talking to you about it. They're open to try and be helpful. And I would say the first thing that you should do is go ask other state regulators and groups and even, you know, ask folks like ourselves that we can put you in touch with the ones that are happy to share their knowledge base and Mm -hmm. learn from all those others before you start putting pen to paper and really starting to try and say, here's my rules. Cause you know, you have the advantage of being able to create them better than before because you can build on the knowledge base that was provided to you given that you've tapped into that knowledge base. So don't assume you're just going to figure it all out yourself. Mm. Um, I think that would be my, my biggest piece of, uh, you know, advice in that respect. Well, Dr. Raybert, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for talking to us today. We really appreciate it. And I know our listeners appreciate it too, trying to navigate things on their own. Oh, you are very, very welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. I, I greatly enjoyed it. And I hope everyone has found this to be an informative and rewarding experience as well. And a little bit of news before we go. We hit a thousand downloads. So thank you to everybody who's listened to an episode, followed the podcast, left a review on iTunes, donated to our Patreon. Whatever you've done, thank you so much for helping us get here. And hopefully we're going to bring you more great interviews talking about more great subjects in cannabis that matter to you. Things like growing more organically, things like making legislation that protects home grow for everyday people, trying to figure out what will make cannabis the best that it can be in the best way that we can bring it in to our lives in the most practical sense possible. Then we also, like I mentioned, have a Patreon If you'd like to support this podcast and get access to some exclusive merch we have coming up soon, as well as some stickers if you wanted to get one of those, it's up for as little as a dollar a month. Head to the website and check it out. We have that link in the description as well. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting this podcast and getting it to where it is now.